You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Hey there. Good morning. Welcome in. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM. ESPN New York. Whole bunch to do on this Tuesday edition. Of course, the number, you know it, 1-800-919-ESPN. I am on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer, daily poll question is uh, up and uh, running, right? Yeah, I did that. Yeah, oh yeah. We, I mean, I am just clicking on uh, all cylinders here. Moment of inspiration today at about 5.30-ish. We'll get into a couple more uh, Cam Newton points over the course of the hour. Of course, one hour, we run through it all, take you up until uh, 6 o'clock. And I saw a couple of crazy, crazy stats that you will not believe. They'll blow your mind, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. But uh, let's start at the beginning, as we always do. Uh, Yesterday was one of those days where it did not, if you are a big sports fan, chomping at the bit, waiting for sports to return. Yesterday was not really a great day. And it was one of those days where you got to see more and more of the obstacles to any sport. Baseball, the NBA, football, all the obstacles that they are going to have. And it's one of those days that makes you wonder... If really this is all kind of a a pipe dream, either inside the bubble, outside the bubble, first off, you had a few players inform their teams in Major League Baseball that they plan to sit out the season. Ryan Zimmerman won, Joe Ross of the uh, Nationals another, Ian Desmond, Mike Leake, no blockbuster names. But uh, still, you know, we're still a ways away here from really ramping up the season. Tomorrow's the day where camps are supposed to open again. And I have no problem with any player deciding to sit out the season if that is what their heart tells them to do, right? It's a lot of stuff that goes into it. It's not just, I'm sure, for a lot of guys with wives, with families, the impact of the virus, the long-term ramifications, which we have absolutely really no idea about right now. So if you want to sit out, I can completely understand it. And you have to wonder, with just you know a few days here, How many more guys will end up sitting out, right? You wonder how many guys will be infected simply by playing. And whether or not really are we in denial as sports fans because we all want sports back. And look, denial is not exactly in short supply these days, right? There's plenty of denial to go around. So uh, here is Jeff Passan. He was on SportsCenter last night with Scott Van Pelt about the real fear surrounding the impact of how many guys are going to test positive and and how many guys might decide to sit out as a result. Here's Jeff. The fear among those in baseball who are, you know, the most bearish about this, let's put it that way, is that you've got people coming in from all around the world or Florida or Arizona or Texas or California who are going to be bringing infection with them. You've got guys sitting on planes together who, if one person coughs and the air gets recirculated, who knows what that's going to end up like. These are worst case scenarios. These are doomsday scenarios, but they're also somewhat realistic scenarios and they're things that people in baseball are dealing with right now before players get to spring training and before that first set of intake tests that are going to be taking place and are going to really give baseball a picture of just how many people in the sport are infected now and have been infected in the past. All right, so there's Jeff Pass. I got to be honest, he's saying about people flying in from here, flying in from there, flying in from Florida. Florida would be the one I'd be the most concerned about. 
Who knows what you got from down there? All right, so here's Jeff Passett again. If and how many players will be opting out of the 2020 season? Is this just, you know, a few guys here and this is going to be the end of it? Or is this just the tip of the iceberg? At this point, you know, there have been rumors. This player, his wife is pregnant. Maybe he's going to want to opt out. That player, he's been around. He's got his service time. He's got his money. Why would he want to come and play? I think when it's all said and done, though, there isn't going to be a huge stream of players who do end up opting out. You may have a guy or two per team maximum, and I think it's going to come down to the, the individual decisions. But in the end, you have to answer to to your teammates. And that's a really difficult thing to answer when they say, hey, we're coming to play in the midst of all of this. We want to try and win a championship. Why aren't you here with us? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that is a conversation guys will have. I would think that the the real responsibility is not, I mean, your teammates, I'm sure, is a big responsibility, but the bigger responsibility is to your own family, Right. I mean, if you have a wife and kids and maybe, you know, in-laws who are elderly or people in your family who have pre-existing conditions, maybe players have pre-existing conditions, right? Anthony Rizzo, at least it seems right now that he is going to play, but that's a lot of stuff to uh, to balance. So uh, that's the baseball story. Then you have the NBA situation yesterday with uh, the Nets' Spencer Dinwiddie, DeAndre Jordan, both testing positive Dinwiddie is actually, uh, I think, still experiencing symptoms. So hopefully he starts to recover soon. And you would think that he is almost certainly out for however long the Nets continue to play in Orlando. And as soon as you see stories like this, and I'm sure you're going to see more of them, what if this was a couple of weeks from now when everybody is inside the bubble? Maybe Dinwiddie, you know, in a couple of weeks, there's going to be some player who has the virus but is not showing any symptoms at that time who gets inside that bubble, and what impact will that, you know, the idea of putting everybody in the bubble seems to be the, the safest thing, right? Keep everybody locked down, as if that's realistic, and this way you don't have to worry about the virus. It doesn't seem like there's any, you could put everybody on the moon, and it doesn't seem like there's any way to make sure that the virus does not have any impact inside the bubble. And it seems a little weird to me, i got to be honest, when you see things about, well, Spencer Dinwiddie tested positive. Well, that means Joe Harris is going to need to step up now. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It feels like there's bigger things to uh, worry about. And I want sports back, and I want the NBA back, and I want baseball back. But it is a weird kind of thing where we're focusing on one thing, and uh, there's a, a far greater concern that is out there rather than, you know, Joe Harris's ability to step up. No offense to Joe Harris. Here's Woj on SportsCenter last night talking about the real fear uh, around how many guys are going to end up testing positive. It's the one question the NBA has not answered that they haven't, it seems, wanted to box themselves in is how many players on one team would it take for them to either end a series to say to a team is essentially done. There are mechanisms for them to continue to bring in substitution players, but those players coming in would have to quarantine. But that's the fear. That's the ultimate fear in this great experiment that if there was an outbreak on a team in the middle of the playoffs, how would you be able to continue? Yeah, and it, it, I think it's a month from today. The NBA is scheduled to have games again, right? I think it's the 30th that they are. I, I'm pretty sure that maybe they even have games even before that. Uh, it's, it's, uh, my mind is a little foggy right now, but, uh, I know for sure a month from now they will have games. And 
you have to figure as the number of players goes up, I mean, we talk about the baseball season being kind of farcical. If you get into a situation where teams in the playoffs are rotating guys who have never played on that team or have played very limited amount of games with that team, it does kind of make you wonder if that schedule of having games even inside the bubble is realistic. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Uh, then, of course, there's the Cam Newton story, which kind of s- continues to resonate. We touched on that yesterday. Uh, and, look, I-, I think I'm in agreement with most people, right? It's it's a move that has zero downside and could have major upside. Uh, it- it's one that, uh, for the Patriots, who didn't have a whole lot of quarterback. I mean, when you have a quarterback in Jared Stidham who has nothing but questions and basically zero answers – Bringing in someone like Cam Newton, who does have some questions, feels like a major improvement. It's weird, though, that there are other people that feel like this is still 2015, like the injuries never happen. I keep hearing, well, if he's healthy. Yeah, it's not a question of if he – the real question is, do you think he's going to be healthy? It's not a question of if he's healthy. Yes, obviously, if he's healthy, he's he's a far greater player than anybody they have on their roster. And he has the ability, when healthy, to be an MVB caliber type player. But the injuries are significant. From pro football focus, 2016 was concussed early in the season, ended up tearing his rotator cuff that year. 2017 playoff game against the Saints suffered a knee ligament and cartilage damage. Early on in 2018, his shoulders started acting up again, played through it until the Panthers eventually shut him down with the team out of the playoff hunt. And then 2019 season ended after only two games because of the Liz Frank injury. So, yeah, I guess it's great. Well, if he's healthy, yeah, obviously if he's healthy, the real question again is, do you think he's going to be healthy? I don't. But there are two major narratives that I think that have been pretty common over the last, you know, 48 hours. Actually three, but one of them is dumb. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not going to really focus. I love dumb once in a while, but sometimes dumb, you just have to leave it alone. And the dumb narrative that I keep seeing, it's mostly on Twitter, is that um, you know Cam is 0-8 in his last eight starts. Newsflash, wins are not a quarterback stat. Wins really are not a starting pitching stat in baseball, but they are certainly not a quarterback stat. Stop trying to make that happen. If you're using wins... As a quarterback stat, I'm guessing it's because you really don't have a good argument otherwise. But the two narratives that I've seen that have been pretty common, I touched on them a little bit yesterday, but I did want to kind of get back into them a little bit, is one, the Patriots signed Cam Newton and the NFL let this happen. How could the NFL allow the Patriots to sign Cam Newton. Now, not the league, the other teams. That Some other team should have signed Cam Newton. Look, I get it that we all kind of have this, this, this shared experience of being sick of the Patriots, of hating the Patriots, being sick of Bill Belichick. But doesn't that sound like the whiniest Patriot haters you could possibly be? The Patriots, they got to sign him. The rest of the NFL could have prevented this from happening. The rest of the NFL didn't want to spend that money on Cam Newton. The rest of the NFL felt like the moves that they made at quarterback would be better than signing Cam Newton. 
It's not the goal of the other teams is not to keep good players away from the Patriots. It's to make whatever moves they feel are necessary for their own team. Now you can argue that some teams screwed it up. We argued yesterday. I think most people would be in agreement that the Bears screwed it up by uh, going out and getting Nick Foles, trading for Nick Foles, giving up a pick, and paying him that contract too. That clearly is a mistake. But the idea, well, the NFL, I mean, you just sound so whiny. The Patriots have Cam Newton and the rest of the NFL let it happen. That's the, that is the actual, literal headline from a story on the ringer. And it's not exclusive to the ringer, that, that, that headline. Well, the exact wording is, but I saw many articles yesterday about how could the rest of the league allow Cam Newton to get to the Patriots? The rest of the league feels better about their quarterback situation that they didn't need to go out and get Cam Newton, who has been injured quite a bit, and his play has dropped off quite a bit. The Ringer article, like the sub-headline is, he was the best player in the league in 2015. Uh, Newsflash, 2015 is five years ago now. In the NFL, that's an eternity. The other narrative, and I guess it's because we live here, boy, this could be a real problem for the Jets. Cam Newton signing with the Patriots, boy, that's a real, that's a real issue for the Jets. Another thing for the Jets to worry about. Cam Newton getting to the Patriots. Look. The Jets need to work on the Jets. And if you're one of those fans who's, who feels like this is a blow to you as a Jet fan, worry about yourself. Like, the thing holding the Jets back over the last 10 years has been the Patriots. No, the thing holding the Jets back primarily over the last 10 years has been the Jets. And it has this tone of, well, you know what? We fixed all our problems. Now we can take overtake New England. You weren't over, I mean, almost certainly, unless the, the Patriots just had some, some brutal kind of season. You weren't probably going to overtake the Patriots anyway. Now, look, if Bills fans want to think about how the Newton signing could impact their chances of winning the division, okay, fine. That's a little bit more based in reality. Jet fans, walk before you can run. The Jets have a list of things they need to work on way before they worry about what New England is doing. From the coach to the quarterback, to the offensive line, to the running back, the safety. The idea that the Jets had a real shot to win the division because Tom Brady left is a joke. Like your fate is somehow out of your control. Blaming your record on the fact that the Patriots are better is laughable. Fix you. And if you if you worry about yourself enough, over time, you'll be better competition for the Patriots. The reason why your record is what it is, well, look, you've lost a lot of games to the Patriots, but you've lost a lot of games to everyone else, too. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. All right, so it's the Gordon Damer Show. We take you up until 6 o'clock, as we always do, Monday through Friday. Coming up, the baseball season is clearly going to be a farce, right? 60 games, runner on second base, players dropping out because of uh, health concerns or other concerns, one decision that would be even more farcical than anything that we have already seen 
or will experience. And it actually impacts one of the local teams. So we'll get into that. Plus the poll question, which is up for today. It's on Twitter. It's at Gordon Damer. I have actually uh, put it up there. I'm, I'm almost po- Yes, I have. Have I? Yes, I have. Oh, yeah. Based on the 2020 season alone, only for 2020, which AFC East quarterback is the one you would go with? Now, this is not – you don't get the rest of the team because if you got the rest of the team, the situation that that player finds themselves in, it would change my answer. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't change yours. But you can vote on which AFC East quarterback would be the one you'd go with. Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Cam Newton, or Tua. It's too early in the morning for me to spell Tua's last name correctly. The fact that I got the poll question up without any uh, typographical errors is an impressive achievement that I will celebrate after the show is over. But you can vote on the poll question. It's up on Twitter. It's at Gordon Damer. Poll question up for today on uh, Twitter at uh, Gordon Damer. I did not pin it to my page. Uh, I screwed that up. I also blame Brian for that. See, I, I blame Brian for anything. It's all about uh, casting blame other places, even though it has absolutely no business being there. It's completely on me. But uh, that's that's not how you become a successful talk show host. I have looked at the lay of the land and I have realized blaming others that's... and not accepting any blame for yourself. Great, man. You understand that, Brian, right? Yeah. That's part of the role. Look, you uh, you chose to be uh, part of the show. Yep. It's the business you've chosen. I wake up early. For I you. didn't make the rules. Yep. <laughs> All right, so uh, it's up on Twitter. It's at Gordon Damer. Based on only the 2020 season, which AFC East quarterback is the one that you would go with? Well, look, if you were giving me the rest of the team, to me this one would be a far easier question. If you're giving me the rest of the team, I would go with Josh Allen, even though I am not a huge fan of Josh Allen. I have major questions of whether Josh Allen is ever going to be accurate enough to be a big-time starting quarterback. You go and look, almost all the plays, the big plays Josh Allen makes, he makes with his legs. But we've seen, generally, if you do that long enough, there's going to be a hit at some point that you don't get up from quite as quickly as all the other ones. And he's a big guy, he's a powerful runner, all those type of things. But that would, I mean, the accuracy issues alone. I mean, there are times where you watch Josh Allen throw and it's almost like one of those uh, body switching movies from the eighties where it's, it's somebody else has been switched into his body and has never played quarterback. I mean, he, he doesn't miss the guy a little bit on the, you know, let him too far or it was just over his head. It's like missed him by like 20 yards. So if I got, I mean, people are kind of sleeping on the, the, the depth chart of the, I mean, the bills are stacked, especially with the acquisition of Stefan Diggs. I mean, I really like. What they have in terms of weapons, the offensive line, the defense is good, but there are major questions about Josh Allen. So I would not say Josh Allen because I'm not giving you the rest of the team. This is solely about what quarterback, what one guy would you go with? Um, and obviously I would not take, uh, Tua Tungavailoa because Tua Tungavailoa is if the season starts on time. This is all based on if the season starts on time and we play a full 16 games, there's a very good chance that he only plays maybe half the season. He certainly, I would not think, going to start the season as their starting quarterback. And we talk about health concerns about Cam Newton. The good thing about Cam Newton, even with all the health problems that he's had, he still is, uh, to me, not the most brittle quarterback in the uh, in the AFC East. No, that would be Tua. So it really comes down to Sam Darnold or Cam Newton. And I'm interested to see about how much people are putting faith in Sam Darnold. 
I could probably end up going either way, but if forced to, if gun to my head, I would probably take Cam Newton. And that's even with all the caveats that uh, that Cam Newton has in terms of injuries that we've laid out before. Sam Darnold, there are moments, there are flashes where you see the potential, you see the ability, and you you can kind of envision, right, all these things lining up. Uh, I know I'm telling you that you don't get the rest of the team, but that's the team that Sam Darnold is going to play with this year, right? And there's still major questions about a lot of areas surrounding the team. So, yeah, Cam Newton absolutely has major questions of whether or not he is going to be healthy. We all realize if he's healthy, the type of player he can be. But I think if push came to shove, I would probably still go Cam Newton as the guy I would pick if I had one pick out of all the the quarterbacks in the AFC East. Yes, Sam Darnold does have flashes, but that's what they are. And whether or not those flashes ever become game-in, game-out, play-in, play-out results, that remains to be seen. And for all the people who will tell you, well, you know what, if you... If you ask the Patriots, would they rather have Sam Darnold or Cam Newton? Well, I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's over the long haul. Just based on 2020 alone. You know, Sam Darnold could take a step forward next year. But it's not just about taking a step forward. You hope he takes a step forward. He needs to take a step. I mean, playing 16 games, that would be a step forward. It's not just about taking a step forward. It has to be a pretty sizable step forward. And the weapons that Cam Newton has, not great either. But um, I still think that keeping him healthy, uh, I think that may be less of a concern than all the it's, – it's, it's more of one concern, and it probably is a greater number one concern than anything that Sam Darnold may have, but Sam Darnold has more concerns, offensive line, coaching staff, all those type of things, so I'd probably go um, with Cam Newton. All right, so the poll question, it's up for today on Twitter, uh, at Gordon Damer. I did want to touch on one baseball. You know, it's funny because everybody's been focused on the Mets sale, the potential sale. This one's interested. That one's interested. Well, they bet if you're a Met fan, not that you're not going to want them to sell anyway, but I thought Mike Puma of the Post a couple of days ago, and I didn't get a touch on it at the time, the, the Wilpons better end up selling to someone, and it really almost shouldn't matter almost who. <laughs> because if they don't, after this season, the Mets, in terms of contracts, have $75 million in contracts. And they get a lot of big contracts off the books, right? Right, uh, David Wright comes off the books. Cespedes comes off the books. Jed Lowry comes off the books. You're thinking to yourself, all right, cool. That's, that's awesome. $75 million, that's nothing. But you got Conforto, Mats, even Syndergaard being out. They're all arbitration eligible, right? So it's not really going to be a surprise if those three guys get contracts that equal close to $100 million. So the, the, all of a sudden you look at the wiggle room that the Mets may have to add to the team after this season, even though it's only $75 million right now, there's other parts of it that are already kind of locked in. You're not going to be dealing any of those guys away, you wouldn't think, in a, in a shortened season. And you have to keep in mind that everybody's payroll is going to drop, and Mike Puma brings up the the possibility, and there's no way to know for sure, but if the Wilpons were to continue to own the team, that payroll 
could drop to like $130 million. And you just think about the impact. It's already been a bad move. Hopefully for the Mets' sake, it it improves over the course of this shortened season. But the Cano contract, if you're looking at a – and there's no way they could have uh, you know, known the, the COVID situation, but there were enough red flags not to take that contract at the time. And I can tell you that the Cano contract is for $24 million. I know that because he gets $24 million from now until 2024. That's how I remember it. <laughs> and then you have Familia getting $11 million more. So that contract of Cano, which is not going anywhere, boy, as bad as it looks right now, it could uh, turn out to be even worse. So then, that's not the only issue that I wanted to bring up with the Mets, because the Mets made some moves yesterday. Signed Melky Cabrera, Cano's old buddy. So if he makes the team, that would be Melky Cabrera's 16th year in the majors. Raise your hand if you had Melky Cabrera having a 16-year career when he left the Yankees. I'm pretty sure he left the Yankees after the, the championship in 2009. Um, but 16 years, that's impressive. Now, <laughs> we know to a certain extent how that happened. But still, other guys were doing it too, and they didn't play 16 years. So that's, uh, that's, a, that's a shocker. I would not have uh, foreseen that one uh, at the time. But let's be honest. The Major League Baseball season... We can be honest with each other, right? The Major League Baseball season is going to be a joke, right? 60 games of a baseball season is a joke. I get that it's the best we can do, and I'm on board if it if it plays out. I'll be into it. I saw a stat yesterday. Yankees' worst 60-game stretch last year was 37-28. and 28. So even with 60 games throwing more uh, luck or chance into the mix – you know, I, I would think the Yankees are going to be healthier and have a, a an excellent year. So, you know, as a fan, I'll be into it. But let's be honest. Even before a single pitch is thrown, you have to be fair. It's a joke of a season between you and me. We all know it's going to be a joke, right? When this first thing started and the, and the potential for the baseball season to get cut down was made, People were saying, well, 100 games, 100 games, eh, all right, 100 games wouldn't be bad. 80 games, that would be the bare minimum. To have a representative baseball season, 80 games is the least you could possibly have, and you're chopping 20 games off that. Never mind the goofy rule changes like a runner on second base, all that stupid stuff. So yesterday, I joked about the Mets announcing their player pool not having Tim Tebow on the list. It was a joke because, of course, he's not on the list. He's not a major league prospect. He's a celebrity who's playing minor league baseball as a way, primarily for the team, and that's the the angle I'm looking at. I don't know why he's doing it. It's something to do, I guess. But for the team, it's a way to sell merchandise. That's it. That's what he provides. He is not a minor league prospect. He's not a major league prospect. He's a guy playing minor league baseball, I guess, because he loves to play sports and this is what's available to him. But then Brody Van Wagenen had some media availability yesterday. And the Mets at the time, I believe, had 50 players on their whatever player pool, whatever they call it. So they still had some spots left. And he was asked about the potential of Tim Tebow being one of the guys for those those remaining spots. And 
Brody Van Wagenen said, quote, we do still have 10 spots that we haven't made final determinations on who we will be bringing. In reference to Tebow, he was in camp with us early on in camp last spring. He was sent out to minor league camp a couple of weeks into it. But he, like many of the other players that were in spring training for us, will be in considerations to bring back. We haven't made those final decisions. Well, look, that, you know, Brody is, is a slick guy and he obviously has a way with words. And, and maybe that's just something you say, right? Like you don't want to insult the guy. He's part of your organization. But he actually has no real chance of making it. But he doesn't want to say for right. I can understand understandable reasons. There's no chance that Tim Tebow will be on in our player pool or on a major league roster. As laughable as the baseball season will be. I will go on a limb right now and say if the Mets do include Tim Tebow, even on the 60-man player pool, never mind on a major league roster, that will be the most laughable thing about the entire baseball season. Tim Tebow, while it's amazing that after all the years off that he had playing football, that he went back to baseball, even the modest accomplishments that he's had, that is truly amazing. That does not mean that he deserves a spot in Major League Baseball by any stretch of the imagination. He is soon going to be 33. He turns 33 in August. He is entering his fifth season in Minor League Baseball. His slash line is a batting average of 222, an on base of 299, and a slugging of 332. His OPS is 600. He strikes out one of every three at bats in the minors. That is not someone who, and under any set of circumstances, deserves a shot in Major League Baseball. This is not a wheel of fortune. This is not a, what is it, the price is right where you just call people out of the audience and bring them down and see if they can win the showcase showdown. Tebow's only benefit is to sell merchandise. And it really, it never makes sense anyway. But this is certainly not a year it makes sense. There's not going to be any fans in the stands. And I feel like any Tebow purchase, like a T-shirt, a jersey, whatever, that's an impulse buy, right? That is not a purchase you should be making from the safety and comfort of your own home. That's a day spent at the ballpark, baking in the hot sun with a couple, a dozen maybe adult beverages. That is not a – there is no benefit. And as as laughable as all the different things that I'm sure are going to pop up in the course of the season, who knows what other players are going to be uh, opting out of playing in the shortened season, there is absolutely no way, none, that the Mets can include Tim Tebow. I don't care if, they're, if their list is 100 players long. He does not belong there. Happy birthday to Iron Mike Tyson. 50- 
54 years old. And there were many times in Mike Tyson's life where I wonder if he thought that he would uh, make it to 54 years old, right? I mean, his life is uh, lots of ups and downs there, but that's certainly one of the big ups, winning the heavyweight title against Trevor Burbick at the age of 20. So, And Burbick was one of those first guys. There was a lot of comedians who talked about, like, Mike Tyson hitting guys so hard, but they tried to pretend that they weren't hurt. Trevor Burbick is, I think, the genesis of where that joke, because he kept trying to, like, stand up, and he couldn't, he, he, his legs were gone. I shouldn't laugh, but it was, you know, it's kind of, it's a funny visual. It's the Gordon Damer Show. It's 98.7 FM, ESPN New York, uh, 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Our poll question, which is up for today on Twitter, at Gordon Damer, if, they, if you had one quarterback to pick this year, just for this year, not the future. Obviously, if you were going to pick the future, you would say, I would think either Josh Allen or Sam Darnold, maybe Tua, I don't know. But uh, those would be, but it's not about the future. It's just about right now, in this one season. Would you rather have uh, Cam Newton, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, or Tua? You could vote on the poll question. We've been talking about the Mets this morning, Melky Cabrera and the Mets and the Mets moves and, and moves that they just can't absolutely make. Um, all right, you know what? Let's get a call in here quickly. What is it? Adam in Vermont. Adam, go, my man. Hey, Gordon. How's it going? I'm good, man. What's up? For me, Melky Cabrera gave me one of my personal favorite baseball moments uh, at a Yankee game. I went to with my dad. They were losing 4-1 the Mariners in the seventh or eighth and the heavens opened up. I told my dad they would come back and Melky Cabrera would hit the walk off and let alone he did it. But there you go. All right. You know, the man has a two eighty five lifetime batting average and over sixteen years he's played over a hundred games almost every year. Yeah, put some respect on the man's name. Look, I, I mean, it's uh, if you would have told me, I want to take a look. Yeah, two thousand nine is the last year he played with the Yankees. He got uh, he went to Atlanta after that, and then he kind of bounced around for a while. Had a really good year, which I think we could all his one All Star season was in twenty twelve. Um, and look, the way he did it, uh, there's a lot of guys doing it that way. So I can just judge it based on the stats alone. He has had a far better baseball career than I ever expected when he left the Yankees because, you know, he was a guy who came up at the age of uh, 20, 21, and um, I did not expect him to have a, a 16-year career. That I mean, that's impressive. Now, at the yeah. end of the day, at this stage, he, he can put the bat on the ball, but that's about it, right? If he doesn't get on base anymore, he doesn't really have any slugging. Uh, I don't know if he can still play center field anymore. So, I mean, he's just a guy that can, you know, maybe a pinch hitter, and that's his role. But he's going to be 35 this year. So uh, he's had a far better career than I would have anticipated after uh, he left the Yankees. I did not think that – I thought he was going to, you know, burn out pretty quick. But uh, that has not been the case. All right, Adam. wasn't glamorous, but he was consistent. Thanks for yeah, no, I mean, and look, he's had, uh, you know, he had uh, a couple of, you know, the one season, and thanks for the call, Adam. 2012 was the year where he had, he, you know, he was an all-star. He hit 346 that year with an on-base of 390 and a slugging of 516. I mean, if you ever needed an advertisement for uh, performance-enhancing drugs, that would be it, right? I mean, uh, the year before, 305, you know, he could always kind of put the bat on the ball, uh, and he never really struck out that much, but... Yeah, I mean, he was a guy who was, you know, sl his OPS was always kind of below average. And then he had three or four years where he was above average and one year where he was outstanding. And that was the, the 2012 year. All right. So the stats that I was talking about there, two stats, one NBA, one NFL that will blow your mind. The NBA one, 
So was it Monday that we had the moment of inspiration for Vince Carter? Vince Carter announcing his retirement after 22 years. Do you realize that Vince Carter played against 38% of all NBA players? In the history of the NBA, Vince Carter's career was so long that he played against 38% of anyone who has ever played. That is a crazy stat. Almost 40. I mean, the NBA, it didn't just start. And I get it. You know, there's more teams now. I guess there's more players per team. But that's nuts. He played against Jordan and Barkley. He played against Zion. I mean, that is a crazy 38%. There have been only 4,509 players to ever play in the NBA. And Vince Carter has played against 1,672 of them. The fact that there's only been 4,500 players to ever play in the NBA is a pretty crazy stat, too. But Vince Carter played against guys who were, you know, born in the, the 60s, and he played against uh, Zion and other guys who were born in the year 2000. It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of crazy that there's somebody playing professional sports right now that was born in the year 2000. But there you go. All right, so the second stat comes from uh, Bill Barnwell of ESPN, right? Stats kind of guy, you know, uh, analytical articles and all that type of stuff. You have two wide receivers, right? I'll give you I'll give you their stats and you can see kind of how similar they are. Player A, 492 catches, 6440 yards and 40 touchdowns. All right, so that's player A. 492, 6,440 receiving yards and 40 touchdowns. Player B, 600, uh, excuse me, 464 receptions, so fewer receptions, 492 to 464. Slightly more receiving yards, 6,511, 48 touchdowns. So a significant amount of touchdowns. But other than that, those two player lines are pretty similar, right? You'd have to agree, right? 460 catches, 490 catches. Six, almost, you know, midway 6,000 yards and 40 touchdowns to 48 touchdowns. Player B is Odell Beckham Jr. Not bad, right? He's a pretty good player. Player A is Jerry Rice. After tearing his ACL at the age of 35, after the age of 35 and after tearing his knee ligament, Jerry Rice put up 492 yards 6,440 receiving yards and 40 touchdowns. That is crazy. I mean, Jerry Rice was obviously, he's the greatest receiver of all time. And at his peak, he was, you know, lots of guys have amazing peaks. But his decline phase was about as impactful as you could have. And keep in mind, he was first team all pro from his first, uh, excuse me, from his second season in the league until the age of 34. There was only one year, and this is not Pro Bowl, that's nothing. First team all pro. He was that every year from his second season in the league until he was 34, and with one exception. And the year that he was not first team all pro, he still led the league in touchdown catches. That is nuts. And at the age of 40 with the Raiders, Jerry Rice put up 92 catches, 1,200 yards, and seven touchdowns. That's pretty good, too. Wow. And think about all the debates you can have in sports. This guy's the greatest. This guy's the... There's no debate of who the best wide receiver in NFL history is. 
It is uh, clearly Jerry Rice. Brookation just joining us this morning. We uh, kind of focused on the uh, news of the day yesterday. Baseball, you had a few players informing their teams that they plan to sit out the season. Then the NBA, you have actual guys continuing to test positive, uh, certainly impacting the Nets uh, as uh, both uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and DeAndre Jordan. Uh, you would think, or I think Jordan is definitely out. Dinwiddie is experiencing symptoms, so I would think that he is not going to be part of the uh, the Nets, whatever, however long they play. Um, and you wonder if this is just a sign of things to come as we get closer to sports returning. We talked uh, about the Cam Newton and the move for the Patriots, and people continuing to bring up, well, you know, if he's healthy, he's the best. Yeah, obviously, that's not the question. The real question is, do you think he's going to be healthy, considering the amount of injuries that he has had and what you'd have to say is the style of play? And I think that Cam, if you went through all the quarterbacks, some guy, not everybody gets treated the same in terms of hits. And Cam, because of his size, I think defenders have gotten away with more in relation to him than some other guys, especially the fact that he's, you know, outside the pocket a lot. He's a big guy. It looks like he can dish out punishment as well as accept punishment. But in terms of the injuries, we ran them down. 2016, concussed, tore his rotator cuff later that year. 2017, suffered a knee ligament cartilage damage. Uh, in uh, 2018, his shoulder, again a problem, played through pain, and the Panthers eventually shut, shut him down when they were out of the playoff hunt. And then last year, played only two games. So, yeah, it's great to say if he's healthy. That that doesn't really tell you much. The real question is, do you believe with those significant injuries and the style of play that he has had in the past, do you think he is going to be healthy? So uh, that's obviously something we've touched on as well. And then we uh, focused on the Mets a little bit uh, with uh, the idea that they are still making up their mind on Tim Tebow. That out of all the decisions and all the things that Brody Van Wagenen has to do, that should be among the easiest decisions to make. There is no business that Tim Tebow has on a major league roster, certainly not even on uh, the 60-man player pool that the Mets will have for when the season eventually starts up. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Let's get a couple more calls in here. 552 on a Tuesday, and here is our buddy Omar in Brooklyn. Omar! Hello, good morning. You wanted to take two out, basically, and don't put no pressure, and listen. Oh, oh, no, two would. Well, look, uh, the, the, you know, yeah. the NFL season happens. He's not probably going outside. to be the starter week one, so yeah. I would not yeah. put Tua on that list. And I've been okay. very vocal in saying I didn't want the Dolphins to draft Tua, and since they did, I'm not uh, happy with the move. So it's not any ulterior motive. Yeah, but a lot of people are saying that he may be, just, if he's healthy, he may be Fitzpatrick uh, in his first year, and uh, he may be a starter. So, yeah, let's he, he got drafted at five. I, I'm here. I'll put you here. Josh Allen went through the racial remarks before he was drafted. They put him in under the collar. He's a blue-collar mentality, runs like Cam Newton, right? So Cam Newton has a history of not accurate throwing. He's improving there, but he has more experience. He hasn't played basically last two years with his injuries. He's 31 years old. New this is Josh Allen is his third year. Same head coach, same system. Uh, he went for a good year last year. He's going to, for greatness. They are putting him under the skin right now. 
they would have gotten a backup quarterback. They said, no, we are putting all pressure on Josh Allen. That's your year. If you cannot prove it, then we can find some burger. Josh Allen, this year belongs to Josh Allen. Josh Allen, I will take over any quarterback. This is Buffalo Bills year. They are winning over the any, any quarterback in the AFC East. In the AFC East, yes. Okay. I thought you were getting crazy on me. Well, look, if you're telling, you're, right, you're looking at it, and, and Omar, thanks for the call. Yeah. Um, a, a rare call where Omar was reasoned, made uh, made valid points. That might be the most trouble thing, troublesome thing of 2020. Out of all even, the yeah. crazy things that have happened in 2020, got sharks showing up at the beach now in, in New York City. It's, it's, it's a weird year, but that might be number one. Well, look, if you are taking the entire team, I would probably agree with you. Josh, just taking the quarterback out of it, you take a look at his weapons, you take a look at that defense, I think that the Bills are primed to be a, a, a real contender in the AFC East this year, right? They had a very solid year last year, went to the playoffs. I do have questions about Josh Allen, but you take a look at the depth chart, I could understand why you would have all the con- – I'm trying to take that part of it out and just say which quarterback do you have the most faith in. Now – the number one issue with any of those quarterbacks, well, maybe not Tua because injuries are a big concern there too, but out of all those quarterbacks, if you were to list um, all the, the concerns, the number one concern for any quarterback would be Cam Newton's health. But if he can overcome that, uh, the, the fact that uh, he, he – ha- I don't have no question about his ability. Now, I don't know whether you can count on him being healthy – for an entire 16 games or however many games they play, it seems like at this age he's a lot older than than his actual chronological age. But if he's healthy, yeah, clearly he's going to be the best quarterback in that. And and, and if push came to shove, I probably would feel more comfortable uh, going with Cam Newton and his injury concerns than the list of concerns that I have about Sam Darnold and all the things that he has to overcome just himself as well as the team. Uh, Spike is in Jersey. Spike, go, my man. Good morning. I know it's late. First of all, I hope you're doing well. And second of all, I, I, I just the more I read, the more I hear. I know it's a sports talk station. I don't want to be a negative Nancy or a negative Nat, but I, I can't see them finishing. A, they'll start a few games, and, and then everyone's going to be sick. <laughs> I, I just because all the kids are getting sick now. It just baffles me. And again, I don't mean to put a poll on your program. I love your program. Who's your on more? I'd just like to hear your opinion. Do you agree with me or not? Yeah, I, well, Spike, we, we touched on it in the open. And Spike, thanks for the call because we're running out of time. But yeah, I mean, we touched on it in the open. It's the type of thing where it does certainly feel like we could look back on the situation and think to ourselves, what were we thinking? Like, we haven't even started yet. And already you have guys. And, and look, there's no blockbuster names in baseball. Right? There's no, there's no guy that you're saying, you know, it's not uh, Mike Trout that's saying he's going to sit out the season. I mean, <laughs> although if there was one superstar, if there was one sport to go through all this rigmarole and then turn out that the biggest star in the sport decided, you know what, I'm out this year, uh, it would, feels like it would be baseball. But no, I mean, there's absolutely a sense, and we'll see as we get closer, the NBA is going to have to deal with it because, look, I get it. None of these sports are going to shut down based on one guy testing positive or two guys testing positive. But what happens if you continually have guys testing positive? Right? Like what if you have a, a situation in the NBA where you have to delay games because the entire team is sick or a good portion of the team and then bringing in, yes, okay, those guys have been quarantined that are sick. We're going to bring in guys who have either played very, very little for the team or guys who haven't played at all for the team. Is that really a representative season 
for whatever sport. These are all the obstacles, and it does certainly feel like we could get to a stage. I want sports back as badly as anybody, but it does feel like we could get to a stage where all of a sudden it feels like we're thinking back and saying to ourselves, what were we thinking at the time? All right, that's going to do it for us for today. Please vote in the poll question. It's up on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, at Gordon Damer. We'll see you tomorrow at 5, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.